Today we're going to take a little uh, little break from our sermon series that we've been doing. We've been working our way uh, roughly through the Bible, and we uh, have been spending the last few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to try to work through that, and we've been doing that bit by bit. Uh, But we've come to a good place to pause, and and I, I plan to return very soon, but I want us to turn over today to the New Testament book of Hebrews, the last chapter in Hebrews, chapter 13, and we're going to pick up in verse 3. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 3, and today we're just going to read a single verse of Scripture. And it only has one point, and so does my sermon. I know if you've been in Baptist churches, you know Baptist preachers should have three points in a poem. I'm sorry, the text only has one point, so do I, and I'm not very poetic, so I guess you're stuck with what you get. Uh, But the idea of of this passage and of this message is that we should sympathize with persecuted Christians. We just sympathize with persecuted Christians. And, and I want to pause before we even get into this because we in America, and especially the American church, have kind of a, an odd idea about persecution because many Christians here in the U.S. think they're persecuted. A lot of Christians think that they're persecuted. Now, understand what I'm saying. There is some persecution that goes on because persecution broadly defined as hostility towards uh, or ill treatment based on, in this case, somebody's religious beliefs. Now, there are Christians in America with that broad definition who have been persecuted, people who have been coerced into violating their conscience, people who uh, uh, lose their jobs for for standing for Christ, people who uh, maybe face some kind of legal action or or, or, uh, uh, penalties or something like that because of their faith. But by and large, Christians here in America have no idea what persecution is like, myself included. Because many Christians think I'm going to voice my opinion. I have the freedom of speech to do that, and and Christians do. But then many times when Christians have somebody disagree with them, they think they're being persecuted. They think that the other person shouldn't have the freedom of speech they have, but that's wrong. Because even people who would fall within this scope of, of legitimate persecution in America, they don't face the kind of stuff that we're going to talk about today. And I'm not going to try and sensationalize anything. But I do want to talk about believers who are facing mistreatment and even death because of Christ today. Today. Now, if you found Hebrews chapter 13, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's Word as we read just one verse, uh, verse 3. The author of Hebrews says, Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, we picked up in the closing chapter of Hebrews, and in this chapter, uh, the author of Hebrews gives kind of a laundry list of things he wants his his readers to do, things he wants them to remember. And he begins in verse 1 by saying, uh, let let brotherly love, let the love of the brethren continue. And then he gives us a couple of different applications to that. In verse 2, we have brotherly love shown in hospitality. And we have that famous text about uh, in, doing, in doing so and showing hospitality, some have entertained angels unawares. And then in verse 3 we have our text, part of this brotherly love is remembering the persecuted. Remembering the persecuted. Now that word remember has the idea, well you know what it means to remember. It means you remember something. It, it means to recall to mind. It means to think about. Now if all he was saying, listen, if all he was saying was think about Christians who are suffering, He wouldn't be saying a whole lot, would he? If he was just saying, think about those people who are suffering for the cause of Christ, he's not saying too much. 
And, and I've never, I'll, I'll just be honest with you, these are mostly, maybe this is one of those things I should just keep in my mind. Bella's let it out. I don't know how many times I've heard people say something like this. Somebody's dealing with a, a tragedy, some event, and they say something like this. Well, I'm thinking about you. I just want you to know you're on my mind. I'm sending thoughts your way. And maybe you've said stuff like that. I've said stuff like that. Part of it is because we don't, don't know what to say, you know. But whoop de do. I mean, you think about a hole in your sock too, right? Just thinking about somebody doesn't really, doesn't really amount to a whole lot. The important thing, thinking is only important if it moves us to some kind of action. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about, I believe. He says, remember them, and that remembrance should move us to action. He uses this same word, translated as remember, in chapter, two, uh, in chapter 2 when he quotes Psalm 8. Now listen to what this says. It says, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you are concerned about him? Now when the Jewish people would write poetry, they had a convention called parallelism. And what they would do is they would repeat the same idea with a little bit different wording. And that repetition with variation acts kind of like our eyeballs do. Now if I look at that book with just one eye, there's not a lot of depth. But if I look at that book because my eyes are not in a straight line, they're at slightly different angles. Because I see it, that thing at two slightly different angles, I get depth. Right? Same thing happens in the Bible. When the, the psalmist would write something uh, in, in the Psalms or, or any of the place where they use that parallelism, they, they approach the same topic from slightly different angles. And that gives us depth. It helps us to understand more what they're saying. And that's, that is what is being uh, used here in, in the book of Hebrews. Now, the writer of Psalm 8, when he says that God remembers us, he's not saying that God simply calls to mind the fact that we exist. Listen again to see if you can hear that parallelism and, and, and see if you can hear some depth. He says, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you are concerned about him? Do you hear that? Remembering equals concern. Now we're starting to get somewhere. Because when we think about these people who are persecuted, we should call them to mind, yes, we should think about them, but that should cause a response in our hearts. And what's the response? Concern. Now, let me ask you a question. When you're concerned about something, what do you do? I don't mean just, you know, you wring your hands. Oh, I don't know how this is going to work out. But what do you do? You pray, don't you? Man, if it's a big concern, you pray a lot. You pray hard. You say, oh God. And you, you, you beat down the doors of heaven talking to God about it. If you have the ability to, to do something about whatever this concern is, you do it, right? That's precisely what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Christian man, Christian woman, you should remember your Christian brothers and sisters throughout the world who are suffering, who are persecuted, who are being ill-treated today. And when you remember them, that should cause a response in your heart, concern, and that concern should move you to action. See, you thought I was just... I'm going to read you a text that said, think about them. Okay, now it's time to shake the preacher's hand and go home and, and eat dinner real early, right? No, it should cause us to do something about it. Now, you might have noticed that the writer here in chapter 13 does not restrict this just to Christians we should be concerned about. And indeed, the Bible teaches us that 
that we as believers need to be Christ's hands and feet, so to speak, that we should show the love of God in very real and tangible ways to all people. It doesn't matter if they're Christians or not. But having said that, the Bible also says we should be especially concerned about Christians. Remember, look at verse 1 again. It's talking about the love of the brethren. That's Christians. And so, so look again in, in verse 3. How are we to remember them? He says, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. That means put yourself in their shoes. That means put yourself in their place. When you read these stories online, when you, when you hear them in the news, think to yourself, what would that be like if that was me? How would I respond if that was my kids? How would I respond if that was my grandkids? What would my response be if that were my parents, my grandparents? What am I even talking about, this persecution? You say, well, we're here in America, land of the free, home of the brave. Does this even happen? Yeah. Not so much here in America, but all over the world. And this has been happening since the time of Christ. And uh, we, could, we could tell stories about people in China and Russia and different places like that. But there's, there's been a resurgence of persecution in the Middle East recently. And you've probably seen it on the news, read about it online. Has anybody kept up with any of it, ISIS and all that? Well, just in case you're uh, not familiar with what's happening, there are stories coming out of Syria, Iraq, that whole area, about a group called ISIS. You may hear them called ISIL. You may hear them called the Islamic State. But anyhow, they are a group of uh, militant Muslims who are trying to set up a caliphate, which is basically a Muslim religious and political state. And so what they're doing is they're coming in, taking over areas by force, and basically they give people an option, convert or die. Convert or face the sword. And there, there have even been uh, reports that people who have converted... You know, I don't know, I don't know all their, their formula for converting, whether it's saying, you know, Allah is the one true God, Muhammad is prophet or whatever. I don't know what their, what their formula is for that. But there have been reports that even after people have converted, they're still executed. I mean, brutal, brutal people. And, and, uh, and there are people who are dying because they will not convert from the faith that they were before Islam. It's not just Christians. It's other religious minorities and just minorities, period. But Christians seem, uh, depending on the reports that you read, a lot of Christians are being targeted. Now, just just think about this a little bit. The city of Mosul. You've heard of Mosul, I'm sure, if, if nothing else, because it's been in the news with our uh, operations in Iraq and that area. But ISIS came in, they took over, and they issued an ultimatum. They said, comply with our demands and convert or die or you can leave or pay a tax. You say, okay, well, if that was me, I'm not going to convert. I don't want to die. My choice would be I, I would leave. Well, here's the way that you leave. You can't take anything with you. You have to leave all your belongings there. You can't pack a suitcase. You can't take money with you. And then ISIS, they take over all your possessions. So you say, well, that wouldn't be too bad. I could, I could be sneaky. Well, there are reports of people, whenever they would leave, they would be stopped at, at checkpoints that ISIS had set up and robbed. And they would take things like their car, their money, 
travel documents, medicines. Now you think you think about this. You're out in the middle of the desert. You don't have any transportation. You don't have food. You don't have water. You don't have money. You don't have travel documents. You don't even have medicines that you need. How are you going to make it? That's persecution. I mean, put, put yourself in their place. Some of these people had to walk like 40 miles to get to safety in the desert. Imagine that. You've got nothing. How are you going to take care of your kids? How are you going to take care of your grandkids? How are you going to survive? Others haven't been that fortunate. You say, well, I, I don't like that option. I, I would just pay the tax. I'd empty my bank account, whatever it would be, to pay the tax. Well, here's what the reports have told us. Many times they take that money. So, okay, here's X amount of dollars that you're requiring. They take that money. Then they would take the wives and daughters and make them their own wives. That's no choice. In, other, in another area, people had to flee the sea they were in because... Uh, ISIS came in. The only place they, they could really go, many of them, was up on a mountain. Now, this mountain, in like the Rocky Mountains, it's not all pretty and snow-capped and all that. It's just a barren pile of rock. You get up there, you have no food. There's no water. You can't go down the mountain because it's surrounded by ISIS. So many people, including children, are out in the desert heat with no resources, starving to death, dying of thirst up on this mountain. There have been pictures, gruesome pictures of video and videos of people being beheaded, of people being executed, of, uh, of, their, of heads being cut off and stuck on poles, of women being raped and men hung. That's persecution. Now, it's tempting here in the West to romanticize this, isn't it? To think of all those stories we've heard and even read in, in like the book of Acts where where, where the, the powers that be would try and stomp out the fires of Christianity and it's just like embers would spread out and, and, and the kingdom of God would spread and, and the gospel would be taken to all the corners of the earth. And it's easy to romanticize that idea. And that does happen sometimes. But listen, these are real people and they're suffering real pain. It's not as easy to think about the church that's getting wiped out. It's not as easy to think about a whole congregation I read of, of one man who said that he had lost, I think it was like 96 people or something like that of his congregation that had been killed by these folks. Of almost everybody, the, the same number that had been baptized, almost all of them had been uh, that year had been killed by this group. We don't think about those people who, who are losing their faith. We should be sympathizing with them. Now look at, at verse 3. This is heavy stuff. But look at what he says. And remember those who are prisoners, just throw in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, those folks that we've been talking about, since you yourselves also are in the body. In other words, we're liable to the same mistreatment and abuse and persecution as any other person. I love America. I'm so glad I was born here because I could have just as easily been born in Syria, Iraq, Cuba, Russia, and so could you. You didn't choose where you were born. It's just by the grace of God that we, that we were born where we are. And it would not be at all surprising to me 
if this threat came to America's shores. Now, I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Reports, again, threats are already being made towards America from this group. Something that, that you didn't really, we didn't really hear about down here, but uh, up in Chicago there was a Muslim man who killed four people. In his confession he said that uh, it was revenge for the actions of the U.S. in the Middle East. Again, I'm not, I'm not an alarmist, but I'm also not blind. It's a global threat. And we don't know who's coming in and out of our country. You think there aren't people here who sympathize with those folks? I guarantee you there are. And while we live in supposed safety, that can all change very quickly. The point is, we're open to the same sufferings as everybody else. Therefore, we should respond to them as we'd want them to respond to us. kind of goes back to that golden rule. Because we're in the body too, and it could happen to us, we should respond as if the shoe was on the other foot. Now beyond that, and kind of pulling out away from the text just a little bit, but remember the imagery that the Bible uses of, of Christians, it uses the idea, the image of a body, the body of Christ. And the Bible says that when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. And we know that's physically true. Stub your toe in the middle of the night, the whole body responds, doesn't it? When one part of the body of Christ suffers, the whole thing should be suffering. So what can we do to help? I paint a bleak picture, and I realize that. If you came here for an uplifting and encouraging message, I'm sorry, today was the wrong week to come. But you know, this is in the Bible. This is real life stuff. And the, and, and the world isn't all sunshine and roses. So what can we do? Well, obviously, I remember when I was a kid, I loved rainbow. Anybody else love rainbow? I was out in the country, and we had fences everywhere, you know, woods and stuff. And, man, it was great to get out there in the dirt and crawl around under those barbed wire fences and stuff. Man, I was, I was the man. We can't be rainbow. We can't go in and, you know, both, both barrels blazing and, and take on ISIS on our own and liberate the people. We can't do that. But something you can do is pray. What do you pray for? Well, safety. That God would bring peace to that area. That they would stay faithful to God. That God would meet their needs. That God would give them peace and comfort. Basically, put yourself in their shoes and say, if that was me and I didn't have anything, and they were hunting me down, what would I want? What would I need? Pray for that. But beyond that, we know prayer changes things, prayer is effective, but sometimes we just want to do more, right? We, we want to get our hands dirty. We want to, 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 to make a, a, a visible difference. We can also give. Ministry takes resources. It takes money. And the International Mission Board is part of the Southern Baptist Convention. They have set up um, a fund. It's called the Iraq Relief Fund. And you can get through there a number of ways. What I've done is on the back of your bulletin, I, I would provide an outline or try to, I've put the information on how to, how to give on there. You can give online, and I have the web address there. Uh, you can also, if you have a phone, anybody have a phone with them? I'm always afraid I'm not going to turn mine off right before I preach, and somebody's going to call me, and I'm going to be like, oh, man. Your phone, if, it, if you can text, you can help. Because you can text the letters IMB Relief 
80888, and it'll donate $10. How easy is that? There's also a Baptist Global Release, uh, Global Baptist Global Response that provides humanitarian stuff, food, water, stuff like that. They have a fund set up, and you can text the letters uh, BGR to the same number, or you can donate through them online, and I have the web address there for you. And I think it's incredible. Technology is not the answer, but it is a tool. And I think it's great that here in Missouri, we have brothers and, Christi- brothers and sisters in Christ, Christians all over the world, that are suffering, and we can help. And we don't have to leave the church. Isn't that amazing? We don't have to leave our car or our house. We can put it on our phone. We can go online. We don't have to go and put ourselves in harm's way and take up a collection, deliver it. There are people that are already doing that. We can send. Folks, this is not about you and it's not about me. This is about our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted for being believers. And it's not just them. Again, there are minority groups, the Yazidi and, and different folks like that. They're being killed and they're being run from their homes. And the Bible says, sympathize with them. Our own conscience should scream, do something. I want to close with one last verse. It's out of 1 John chapter 3. It says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in needs and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Whoever has the world's goods, sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Why don't you stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And nobody looking around, I just want you to take a moment. If you're a Christian, pray for those brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's not just Iraq, not just Syria. I mean, it's happening all over the world. People are being persecuted, they're being killed. They're being imprisoned for the sake of Jesus Christ. One of the things that we need to remember as Christians is sometimes we can be answer to our own prayers. Somebody says, not enough to pray for a shovel, uh, pray for a hole when you're leaning on a shovel. If you say, God, please help them, and you've got the means to help, by all means, help them. I gave you two different ways you can do that. There are other ways. I'd be remiss if I spent all this time talking about the cause of Christ, about Jesus, about Christianity. I didn't at least extend the offer for you to become a Christian because you may be here. Maybe this is the first time you ever really heard much about this, first time you ever really heard much about the cross. The Bible says that we're all sinners 
But God loved us so much He sent Jesus Christ, His one and only Son, to die on the cross for our sins. And if we'll believe in Him, we'll have everlasting life. And if you've not done that, 